Today's scriptures reading are well known. Uh, first is uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Then God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male, your female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is then in them. But rest of the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Testament reading is John chapter 2 verses 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and the money changers seating at their tables. Making a whip of cords he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Thanks, Mike. 
Hey Jesus, is it time to overturn the tables? Wow, it's only March. Christmas. It seems like it just happened, right? What happened to the couple of months since then? Remember that cute little baby Jesus? And now he's overturning tables. Causing a ruckus. Causing lots of problems. You know there's two kinds of Christianity. There's soft Christianity and there's hard Christianity. The soft Christianity is the Christianity of baby Jesus. It, It teaches us to be good, to be kind, to be gentle, to be a servant, to put others before ourselves. Um, to, to have some good faith practices, um, to step back so others can step forward, to give to, to good causes that are helping people out. And it's important to do that stuff. But today we have to deal with hard Christianity. We have to deal with a Countercultural Jesus who teaches us to stand firm and to fight for God's ways, for, for them not to be manipulated, to not to be poisoned in some way, to not to be turned in God's name into something else. This hard Christianity is, is the one, is the Jesus who teaches us to to fight and put ourselves on the line for justice. And to step up even when our own lives are at risk. And to fight for the dignity of every single person, whether they have any power or any voice, especially if they don't. And it's more complicated to discern and to prepare ourselves for when we are called to live that harder Christianity. How did Jesus decide? Was it impulse? You know, I think a lot of times we struggle to really get at what Jesus is doing and saying. Because we have this picture of Jesus in our in our minds and in our hearts, you know? And we, we see Jesus, some of us anyway, we'll see Jesus in these moments not acting as a full human being with all the full emotion and energy of that, but doing something on behalf of God because Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And therefore, that's why God is doing this. It's not always clear to me whether I should go in and turn the tables. You know, let's take some of the context of what's going on in the story. This is a Passover time. We're going to hear in the Gospels a lot about Passover time. It is the most holy time of the year for Jews. And Jerusalem is the Mecca. Jerusalem is the place. Jerusalem is the central place. And what is at the center of that central place? But the temple. 
You can't get any holier. You can't get any more big awe for, for someone, a Jewish person, frankly, today or back then, than the temple in Jerusalem. So there's big festivals going on. Jerusalem is filled with lots of people. The whole city, every there's, there's no lodging to be found, I'm sure. And what is Jesus doing? Well, he's been getting a reputation of being a teacher, being a rabbi, preaching in the countrysides, right? Maybe. It's hard to tell with John because John's the last of the Gospels, written decades after the other Gospels. So this is only the second chapter of John, and John assumes that you know all the stories of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He assumes all of that. So he doesn't need to put everything in a nice little time order for you. So even though it's the second chapter, I'm going to assume Jesus is already pretty well known out there in the countryside. Um, and he is coming to the temple as a lot of the others who have become known as preachers and teachers and prophets. And he's coming in, as I said in the Bible in the world today, because I had the four people were there Three of them were musicians. Well, I was the fifth person there, so two of us were not really musicians. Um, and so all of a sudden, I remembered that it must have been in that temple the way it is when I go to the uh, Spokane Folk Festival. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's usually in November sometime. And um, they have all these musicians that perform on different stages and other sorts of things, dance and stuff like that. It's really great. But the best part of it is the musicians who gather together in the center and little corners, and they're just jamming together. And the crowds gather around them to watch them just kind of jamming together on their music. And that's the way I think it was in the temple, because all these preachers and teachers and prophets are gathering in different corners of the temple and the crowds are gathering around them to listen to what it is they have to say. And Jesus, I think, showed up to, to do his own sharing with whoever would listen about what his mission was about, what his purpose was about. And what does he find in the temple? He finds capitalism at full force. He finds the, the selling in this agricultural environment of all kinds of animals, cattle and birds and all kinds of things. And he finds the money changers. Now, I know this never happens in modern society where we try to take something that's sacred in a sacred place and we try to find a way to make something that doesn't normally fit there seem appropriate in that spot. And so we sit at meetings and we come up with a way to do that. Well, the money changers were kind of that solution. Because you can't have the money, the Roman money, in your temple. That's the money of your oppressors, of all the secular values we don't stand for and all of this. But we want to be able to sell the cattle in there because we have these people coming from everywhere. So how are we going to do it? <gasps> Let's have temple money. Let's have special sacred money. 
And so when people come in, the first thing they're going to do, it's kind of like going to the casino, I guess, um, is you're going to exchange your money that's for out there in the unholy places for the holy money of the temple. That's what you can now spend. Of course, not all the money changers gave you a good exchange, right? You might have to shop around a little bit. So Jesus walks in and sees this entire scene. Can you imagine? And he doesn't just tell a parable or story or just say it's wrong. He acts. Now, let's think for a second. You walk into church and you see something happening here that you think is really offensive and shouldn't happen in the church. What are you going to do about it? It offends everything you believe about church. Are you going to cause a ruckus? If you are, how do you know that's the right thing to do? Well, Jesus causes a ruckus. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle, and he also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. I'm imagining the money kind of bouncing all over the place, and money changers say, No, that's mine! Don't mix it with my money changer at the fellow table over here. Can you imagine? It seems awful rude. What is Jesus doing? Is this the right way to do it? Okay. Jesus is right. This should not be happening in the temple. But come on, Jesus. There's got to be a better way. That wasn't very nice. There was a whole process to decide how this was going to happen for this festival. Where were you? You weren't at those meetings. You know? We had a debate about it. There were some people who didn't want us to do it this way. Um, I don't remember hearing your voice. What are you doing, Jesus? Do you automatically accept that Jesus was right in what he did here? And if so, why? Now, I find it kind of interesting that the uh, disciples are trying to figure out what this Jesus is doing at this point. And they actually quote Psalm 69. You may not have known that because Mike didn't stop and tell you. I knew he realized it. But, but the disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Now, I read all of Psalm 69, and uh, I think it's, I, I recommend it to you. It wasn't one of the lectionary passages for today, but you might want to go and uh, read that. So they're trying to orient this in terms of what they know. Um, and so they, they call up Psalm 69. But what, what do you call up? What do we call up? I mean... What if somebody didn't like what was on our communion table here and thought it didn't belong in church and just came on top of it? Well, we do need to get it moved back down here 
but that's probably not the way. And, and they may or may not know that, the, that there's two tabletops on there and they're not actually attached, so it would be pretty easy to just topple them, right? What would you think of that? What, what if I had something that didn't belong in church on that table? Would you topple it? Maybe you'd steal it and hide it. Maybe you just come and complain at the next council meeting. Always welcome. Always welcome. So what is this Jesus doing? And we call ourselves followers of Jesus. When's the last time you toppled a table? Intentionally. Somebody was thinking, I've got on the table, I didn't mean to. <laughs> but intentionally. Because you thought something was wrong. It's the temple. The most holy place. What is the most holy thing to you? What is it? And what is its tangible representation? Now, we could get into the theology that John is going with here because he's already, remember, assuming you understand all the stories about Jesus from Mark and Matthew and Luke. And so he puts his own little twist here with this story. It doesn't, that they don't have this story. Um, and the twist is, well, everyone's talking about the temple because he says, you know, uh, tear down the temple and I could rebuild it in three days. They're thinking about physical things. But we hear through John that more important than the most holy place being the physical temple, it's who Jesus is. And who he represents. That he is becoming the living temple. So there's that whole thing we could get into. Okay, That would be a nice distraction. Because we can talk about this transition. From everything that people believed before. To understanding who Jesus was. And this transformative time. In Jesus coming into our midst. Remember starting as that cute little baby. Who couldn't topple a table. But we got to get back to it. He came in and wreaked havoc. I kept looking, but I couldn't find the stories of all the meetings that they had at the temple afterwards saying, what are we going to do with this Jesus person? Then you wonder why they wanted to kill him? He was incredibly disruptive to their very core institution, to everything that they were holding sacred from their position of power and privilege in that temple. Everything. So question for us, as we consider whether we are willing to be co-turning over of tables and wreaking havoc on behalf of God, is to look at the Exodus reading. 
Because it's important to remember who we are. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That is the core statement. We hear lots of other things in here. Um, a, a listing of some pieces of the Ten Commandments are in this passage. But this is a question of our identity. Who are we? Who are you? And who is your God? And once again, the constant theme that comes up of the things we as human beings make the gods of our life. We turn other little things into the gods of our life and we can't let go of them. And we sometimes merge them in to the one true real God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one who showed you a way to liberation out of the house of slavery. So why? Why when you have a couple of hard days do you lean on something else? Instead of relying on the path I've shown you and now the following of Jesus. There's not an easy answer in when soft Christianity is the appropriate way to act and when hard Christianity that upsets all the status quo and everything and the powers to be and gets everybody upset is the right action to take. But here's what I would say. That if we understand our identity created in the image and likeness of God, the one who in the reality of love shows us the way and what it is that holds us in bondage, what it is that causes us not to be liberated, not to live as a full, empowered human being, that when we understand that as our identity, and when we have practices and the disciplines to reflect on that, both on, on our own as well as together, and when we have the processes for discerning in a certain moment how we're supposed to live that out, then we will know in the moment when today is it required that we have soft Christianity? Or is this a call for action of hard Christianity? Where we know everybody's going to be upset. But in our faithfulness there is no other choice. Now, this doesn't always have to be something you do out there in public. I'm not talking about it always being like civil disobedience or walking into some public place and literally topping tables. Sometimes it can be just within our families where the hard Christianity is saying, no, I can't go with you where the rest of the family is going on this. I must stand here. I must be here. I must speak this. While around the table, contrary things are being spoken. I need to be faithful and say what is hard to say because I love you all. But here is what I believe. And here is what I know to be true. And here is what I must do. It could be, I was going to say as simple, it could be as complicated as that. So today, 
I just invite you to continue on the Lenten journey. Continue to understand more deeply what it means for you to be a follower of Jesus. The one who touches us in gentleness. And the one who calls us into action even when it upsets others. May God bless us as we discern each moment what is right and what is wrong. Amen.